0: Today's podcast is being brought to you by Parametric. In a world where investors seek customized solutions, Parametric partners with financial advisors to create portfolios tailored to unique client goals and make passive investing personal. Parametric,
1: custom to the core. More at customtothecore.com. Hosted by WealthManagement.com senior editor David Lennox.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of WealthManagement.com's Celebrity Estates Wills of the Rich and Famous. For anyone new to the podcast, in each installment, myself and a guest take on a different celebrity estate and attempt to extract some key lessons that planners can apply to their more traditional clients. The idea being that celebrity estate planning stories, although often ridiculous in their details, generally have at their cores very basic issues that can just as easily apply to non-famous or fabulously wealthy clients. We're once again joined this week by one of our favorite guests, Megan Gorman. Megan's the founding partner of Checkers Financial Management, a fee-only planning firm that specializes in high net worth and ultra high net worth families in San Francisco. Checkers focuses on establishing long-term relationships with families and helps them navigate through tax, estate, liquidity, and investment planning. Megan heads the firm's family office services practice. She's also a senior contributor for Forbes in personal finance and tax, and quoted regularly in the press as a tax and financial planning expert, including such publications as The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, CNBC, and of course, WealthManagement.com, among others. She regularly blogs at www.TheWealthIntersection.com and has appeared on numerous podcasts and is a regular weekly commentator on The Money Tree Podcast. It's great to have you back, Megan.
2: Oh, thrilled to be here. And I think we've got a really sort of interesting, meaty discussion today on, on this case, the case of yeah. Britney Spears, right?
0: Yeah, there's no think about it. This is a big one.
2: Yeah, so- and a fascinating one. And one that I think, unlike a lot of estate planning cases or you know areas of estate law, that has really gained a lot of passion from the public. I mean, I think we're all sort of wedded to what's going on right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as we've already spoiled, uh, this week's subject is going to be Britney Spears. And and yes, we know that she's alive, but this is still dealing with her estate, given the nature of the legal wrangling that's happening. Um, So for those who somehow don't know, after bursting onto the scene and building a successful career in the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, Spears kind of ran into a number of mental health factors and fell into a spiral in the latter part of the aughts. She became, began behaving erratically in 2007 after her divorce from Kevin Federline, if you remember that wonderful man, and uh, she lost custody of her two children. A series of public incidents raised concern about her mental welfare, with you know, making headlines for shaving her head and hitting a photographer's car with an umbrella. In 2008, she was twice admitted to hospitals under a temporary psychiatric assessment ruling, including after one incident in which she allegedly refused to surrender her sons, surrender her sons in a standoff that involved police. Since then, her life and career have been in the hands of legal guardians in an arrangement known as a conservatorship. Spears's conservatorship was split into two parts, one for her estate and financial affairs and the other for her as a person. Brittany's father, Jamie, was initially in charge of both parts of the conservatorship, but he stepped down as his daughter's personal conservator in 2019 for what he called health reasons. Confidential court records obtained by the New York Times showed that the conservatorship restricted aspects of Brittany's life ranging from who she dated to the color of her kitchen cabinets. In the years under the conservatorship, though, Spears released three albums, held a successful Las Vegas residency, and made numerous television appearances, including a stint as a judge on the U.S. version of X Factor. However, around 2016, she started publicly making noise about wanting to end the arrangement, and if the reports would have believed, she was making private noise well before then. And I quote, she feels the conservatorship has become an oppressive and controlling tool against her, a court investigator wrote in a 2016 report and a lengthy battle both in actual court and in the court of public opinion is ensued. In November of 2020, a judge declined to remove Mr. Spears as conservator, but named financial firm Bessemer Trust as co-conservator instead. A month later, the judge extended Mr. Spears' conservatorship until September of 2021. On September 7th of this year, however, we had a major development. After facing heavy public backlash, Jamie Spears filed a petition to end his tenure as the court-ordered conservator of Britney Spears' estate, then, on September 29th, a judge suspended Jamie Spears from his role as conservator of the $60 million estate as per his request. The next hearing is set for November 12th, where the, fir- where the full termination of the conservatorship will be considered and is considered likely to happen. Now, a major estate planning story doesn't, as Megan mentioned, doesn't really ever reach into the public eye like this very often. So this is a pretty unique opportunity, and conservatorships are, are sort of not a, a, a very well-known aspect of, of estate planning. So, Megan, what do practitioners need to know
2: about conservatorships? Yeah, you know conservatorships, is, as you said, it's not really well known area, and it's a really underdeveloped area of law to some degree. But but the basics are as follows: a conservatorship is granted by a court for individuals who are unable to make their own decisions, like people with dementia and other mental illnesses, and these. Can conservatorships can include decisions ranging from the rights to make medical and financial decisions, to control over basic life choices, such as where to live and who to marry. So it's a pretty broad area of what a conservatorship can control. And this specifically is in California. Brittany lives, I believe, in the Hidden Hills area. And so it's important to note that in California, there are even two types of conservatorships. There is what Brittany has, which is a probate conservatorship. conservatorship, conservatorship. I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> Sorry about that.
0: Easy, easy for you to say.
2: <laughs> and these are primarily designed for individuals who have intellectual disabilities or dementia, and they're granted indefinitely by county probate judges. But a conservatee can petition to end it. There are an- there is another type of conservatorship in California called a Lanterman-Petris Short conservatorship. And these are designed for people with serious mental illnesses that are so gravely disabled, they cannot provide clothing, food, shelter for themselves. And so these get decided by county judges as well, and they are renewed annually. So this is sort of the landscape that the Britney Spears case is taking place in front of. And what I think is so interesting about this case is is not just the Britney aspect of it, but there's a lot of different pieces of it that can apply to any one of us. And I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast are advisors, but whenever I hear this story go on the air and and people talk about it, I'm always issue spotting because there's a lot out there to sort of unpack.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, one first thing to clear, because we're going to be focusing on, on the California definition too, because that's where this case is happening. But is the difference where it exists between conservatorships and, and guardianships? And in some states, they're the same thing. In other states, they're very different things. And in some states, one doesn't exist. Uh, what's the situation in California vis-a-vis conservatorships and guardianships and, and what the difference is?
2: So it's a really good question. Because in California, guardianships really only refer to To the court appointment of an individual with legal authority to represent and manage the affairs of a minor child. So in most of our estate plans, if we have children, we have a guardian named. And that's what guardianship is in terms of California law. But a conservatorship is really about protecting the incapacitated. So like we discussed, people with dementia who are mentally ill. And so if we think about this in context of Brittany, and we go all the way back to 2007, 2008, which, you know, to some degree doesn't feel that long ago, but it, it was... Brittany was going through a lot of mental illness challenges and she was placed in a 5150 hold in the state of California. So she comes under a group of people who a conservatorship could be considered for.
0: You know, I'm glad you use the term could here because I think when we talk about issue spotting this case and when I look at this case, the thing that keeps jumping back into my head is just this feeling that, It doesn't really feel like, I know technically everything works, but it just doesn't actually feel like what a conservatorship is for. You know, I know you mentioned that there are ways to, you know, to end a conservatorship. But in practice, in at least my experience, that very, very rarely happens.
2: And by the way, it also rarely happens that you have a conservatee who is doing headline tours and making music. So I think if we take a step back, when we think of celebrity in this country, it's a machine. And so when you have someone in a Britney Spears situation where there's a machine around her and she's coming from a background where, you know, her parents really probably didn't have a well-versed background in estate planning and now they have a mentally ill child on their hands, you're sort of at a really difficult situation in terms of what to do. And this is where, you know, I think the, the, the piece for advisors to keep in mind is the conservatorship is just one tool in the toolbox. But I want to think about this in the broader context of estate planning, which is what other options are out there? Because so many of us are working with clients and we have a lot of backstops built into their estate plans. So for instance, here in California, we're a community property state, and we typically function with revocable trusts. And the reason we use revocable trusts in California is to avoid the probate system, which is a very costly system. But often in revocable trusts, the individual who's trusted it is might be the initial trustee, but there's a backup trustee. And that backup trustee can be really, really important because they can step in if the individual is not is not doing well, is unable to take care of their financial matters. And so one of the things that we need to think about is when Jamie and, and Lynn, Brittany's parents, were given this sort of, they're thrown into the storm and they were looking at it. It's interesting to me that they jumped to conservatorship and didn't first go to the estate planning documents. But I will tell you that might have to do with the fact that maybe Brittany didn't have her estate plan in order. Or maybe they felt that as trustee, they wouldn't have had enough power to control the situation. But for a lot of people in Brittany's situation, the backup trustee in a trust might be a really good solution here versus going for a conservatorship, which is far more arduous. And, and I bring this up because one of the most shocking things to me, David, when I look at Britney's situation is her net worth. And I don't know, do you know what her net worth is?
0: I think the reports are it's about $60 million her estate is yeah, worth. Yeah,
2: yeah and, and so for the average person, right, $60 million is a lot of money. But for someone who's been in the public eye for 20 plus years, who's done, you know, worldwide tours, who publishes music, who has perfumes and clothing and all this stuff, it's a little bit low. And in fact, I think that... When you look at it, one of the big concerns is you look at her peers. You know, her ex-boyfriend, Justin Timberlake, he's worth more than $250 million. If you look at Pink, who also came onto the scene around the same times as Britney, and probably hasn't been as big into things like perfume and things like that that Britney was, she's worth north of $100 million. But Britney's sitting there at $60 million. And that, to me, has always been a big warning sign about what is it that we should think about when it comes to conservatorships.
0: Yeah, absolutely. and that I, is, mean, I know that the tendency here is to look at it and be like, well, you know, she went crazy and she squandered it. But It's like the period that we're talking about where she kind of like, quote unquote, lost control of herself. It's very brief, you know, all things considered. It's not like one of these extended 30-year drug benders that you see, you know, celebrities going, it was like a year and a half before they got her into this conservatorship. It happened very- And,
2: And that's where, you know, we've got this sort of tug of war going on in conservatorship law in California right now. Because on one hand, the Spears case is sort of laid out that we need more transparency and stricter accountability when we have a conservatorship. But on the other hand, and this is not an unknown thing about California, we have a huge homeless situation here where you have a lot of mentally ill people on the street. And so the idea of having conservatorships to help those people is something that's really important as well. So we've got this sort of tug of war. And if you think about it, when you become a conservator, conservator, you're taking control of the person, right? You're in charge of the person, you're in charge of their finances, you're in charge of also their professional fees, taking care of them medically, making sure that someone is making sure they're safe. And so what you look at here is in a conservatorship like Britney Spears, where you have a significant amount of assets, and she was already a machine financially before what has happened here is we sort of see death by a thousand paper cuts financially because we're paying the conservator and you know as we know Jamie Spears was taking about sixteen thousand dollars a month but he was only the co-conservator because there was another attorney involved who was getting roughly around four or five hundred thousand dollars a year. But on top of that, Brittany had this person who was helping her with her personal affairs, a woman named Jody Montgomery who specializes in this. And in a 14 month period, her legal costs and her fees were just under 300,000. And this is before we even hire any of Brittany's accountants, her attorney to represent her, and even any of the investment people. And so you've got this sort of situation here where you've got someone who generates a lot of revenue but you've got a lot of people pulling from it. And so I think for us as practitioners, as you look at this situation, it is one of those great stories to take to clients and say, look, fees are a part of life, depending on how you make decisions in estate planning. But if we had just had Brittany's backup trustee step in on her revocable trust, we would have had to pay a trustee fee, and there probably would have been some attorney's fees involved, but we wouldn't have had to pay for a conservator. We wouldn't have had to pay all these other fees out there. And her net worth might have grown a lot more. I know in the New York Times, they've said, you know, the fees she was paying annually was roughly around a million dollars. I would beg to differ. I think there's a lot of fees we're not seeing and not accounting for. And that is why her net worth is probably more in the $60 million range than north of $100 million. And I know most people listening are like, Megan, it's all a lot of money. And it is. For what she's earned over the course of her career, which I think is, I think when you total it up, it's over $400 million, $60 million is not a lot.
0: Absolutely. And also with these fees, I mean, obviously these numbers are a little that she's paying are not what your average client is going to pay, but they're also not super far off. Like you, know, it, you, you can use less expensive lawyers and, and have you know, only one conservator and stuff, but some of these things are just like, they're the same for everyone. And it's just expensive Correct. for everyone.
2: Yeah. Look, I mean, trustees. And, and I think one of the things that as advisors, one of the things that is very helpful when we work with clients who are in these situations is we might not want to ask a brother, a sister, a father, or mother to be the, the trustee. We might want a corporate trustee. And corporate trustees are great because they follow the rule of the law, but they are also going to interpret documents probably more conservatively than, a, than an individual who's hired. And corporate trustees come with a cost, and if you look at a lot of corporate trustees, they have just a minimum fee, not counting you know managing the assets and how big the asset base is. And 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 keep in mind here, right? Britney Spears has a complex tax and a, tax and investment picture. So just imagine she's your client. You know, on one hand, you've got the music. And the royalties coming in from the music. And it's not small dollars. You know, over the course of her career, it's been 60, 70 million coming in in royalties. And then we've got tours that have totaled over 400 million. Books. Brittany's written like three or four books. She's been in movies. She's been sponsored. I mean, she had like an $8 million sponsorship from Pepsi. And then she had her perfume, which her perfume business is one of the best celebrity perfume businesses out there. So this is a woman with a lot of revenue streams coming in. And of course, right off the top, you've got agents that take about 10% and she's got to pay taxes on it. So even after all of that kicks in and now she's paying all these additional fees, Britney's really getting hammered. And so I would make the argument here that when we look at a client like this, a corporate trustee in a revocable trust could be a good solution for someone who is not mentally unable. And, and I can't give any insight on the Brittany situation. But I think as advisors, we need to look at what other options there are in our toolbox. And so corporate trustees are often a good solution in a revocable trust document.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to, to make it completely clear, the fees and such that we're talking about now are all in the realm of legitimacy. This is just, you know, the normal fees of hiring these professionals out of the cost. But you know, that we're not saying. But it could be even worse. You know, we don't know anything about this in Brittany's specific case. But the more people you have involved, the more hands you have on you know, Brittany, who is a very valuable asset. The more likely that there is a bad actor involved somewhere, and then there's you know, you're increasing the risk of that as well.
2: Well, and that's the thing about estate planning. When I teach law school, I always say the best part of estate planning is we love a good villain. That's 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 the key to estate planning. You always have to think about these worst case scenarios, and conservatorships are ripe for villains. And you've seen that in the story that's played out with Jamie Spears to the point that when he actually resigned his conservatorship, he's been very clear that he's been you know his his public statements to the press has been very consistent that he has done everything according to the law. He's just stepping away because it's appropriate at this time, right? Because he does not want to have any culpability that he did anything improper. Now, David, there's another thing I want advisors to sort of always keep in their toolbox as well, which is, you know, you, you besides the conservatorship, besides, you know, trustees and revocable trusts, there's also the use of durable powers of agents. And I I bring this up because most of us, when we get an estate plan, we get a power of attorney, right? We pick someone to act as our agent. And so this is often a tool that can be very beneficial in this situation. But the only thing we have to remember is a conservator is appointed after the adult becomes incapacitated. But a power of attorney agent is designated when the adult is still competent. So again, going back to 2008, 2009, when the Spears family was going through this, it's not clear if if there was a power of attorney that they could have used in order to manage Britney's affairs. And I often think this is a great thing, but one of the warnings I do like to give people in regards to power of attorneys and power of attorney agents is they have really significant Power. Most people don't realize that basic form that we sign when we do our estate plan really gives the agent a lot of power. And so, and the agent, while they have a lot of power, they do have some duties. They have duty of loyalty, the duty, you know, to use property and confidential information correctly, the duties of care, competence, and diligence. But again, powers of attorney agents can also at times be an unchecked area like conservatorship. So when we're as advisors working in these situations, we really need to think through the pros and cons of all the solutions out there. And I can't tell you if other solutions would have been more appropriate for Brittany. I'm not close to the case. We're only hearing some facts, but we just have to remember that when we're with clients and we're proposing these things and we're looking at ways to help them, that there are risks involved.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought up the, the the other documents, right? The powers of attorney, the healthcare proxies, these sorts of things. You know, I've spoken with a lot of estate planners, who uh, they find it ironic that we, you know a lot of planners, you know, they charge for the will and then they kind of throw in the the power of attorney or whatever as part of the package. And it really, you know, a lot of times, it, it's almost the other way around in terms of the value, relative value of these things, and that you should be charging for the healthcare proxy and the power of attorney, and the will is just whatever. So it's always fun to see people appreciate sort of how strong and important those documents can be.
2: Oh, totally, and and you know it's funny because when you go through case law with power of a, power of attorney and where there's been breaches of fiduciary duty or where courts found that they haven't breached their duty, it's all about you know what was the person who put them in charge intent, you know, and and when they what I find is a lot of times when we're doing estate planning documents, we spend so much time in the revocable trust, we spend so much time on who we're going to make the guardians of our children and who's going to be the trustee, but we sort of gloss over this document. And it's one of those documents in the estate plan that really we should go through line by line and make sure we wanna be giving that person that power. Because when we designate our agent, we are coming from a place of being a competent adult who has capacity to designate someone as an agent.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think the overarching uh, lesson here is that, you know, obviously we can't say, as you mentioned, which one of these would have been right or wrong or better or worse for Brittany. But the idea is that you want to build in as much flexibility. You know, it's probably the answer is not one of these would have been right or better. It's some combination of these would have maybe provided a, a better backstop, a more flexible backstop. Because flexibility is really what it's all about, you know, especially when you're dealing with such a young person. That, you know, uh, you know, taking, you know, a, a step like conservatorship, it's very difficult to get off from under a conservatorship. Uh, I was talking to my wife about it the other day. She is obviously a big estate planning nerd, the daughter of an estate planner. And uh, she made an interesting comparison. <laughs> and married comparison. to one. <laughs> and yes, yes, she's really all in on the estate planning thing. And she made an interesting comparison that, like, being under a conservatorship is a lot like being on parole, where you're sort mm-hmm. of caught in this catch-22, where you're constantly reporting to a parole officer. And if you're doing great, then it's because you're constantly reporting to your parole officer (laughs) and if you're not then it's like well you need to be under this so you end up in this weird cash 22 of well if i'm doing well that's because the conservatorship is working and i should stay in it but if i'm not so there's no so how do i prove then what's the standard that i use how can i prove to people that i'm doing well and i'm capable and it's not just because i'm under this conservatorship i'm actually doing well and i'm now capable of handling my own affairs
2: Well, and the other thing that I think is a lesson from this case is I've always been fascinated by the finances of celebrities, right? And that's because, you know, we think of them as celebrities and they're A-list and they're known and they're on a magazine covers and you think, well, they must know what they're doing. A lot of times... Things get built around them where they're surrounded by yes people, and they don't want to be surrounded by people who say, no, you really can't do that, or you should think about doing it this way. They don't want to deal with the guardrails of life that the rest of us regular people deal with. So I find with Britney's situation, even before the conservatorship, she had some shades around her. There were a lot of people preying on her in general, and I think that that's not uncommon in that space. So as much as we like to be a a culture right now that, you know, the celebrities are looked up to and so on, I think when it comes to estate planning and personal finance, always be a little cynical because, again, they might not be getting the best advice out there. And by the way, if they were, then David, you wouldn't have a podcast.
0: (laughs) Exactly. I'm happy they don't. That's personal.
2: (laughs) Exactly. I'm an awful it gives person. It something to talk
0: about. <laughs> but you know, what you're really talking about here is that there's, there's a sophistication gap, and that sort of exists between mm-hmm. all professionals and clients, right? That's otherwise there wouldn't be yes. professionals. But the truly good professionals are able to bridge that gap and explain why, instead of just doing what they do without any sort of worry about what the client thinks. Are able to bridge that gap, explain in a way that the client can understand what they're doing, and that way the client can have input into what's happening, and they're not just being, you know, knocked away. And I think that in this case where you have a you know, an unsophisticated family, someone who got famous very young, a family that didn't have much of a professional life before this. Now, all of a sudden, they're thrown into this world of high-powered lawyers and agents and everyone. You know, even they're just the, the sophistication gap is so drastic that it really it takes a special advisor to sit there and look at that and be like, all right, I, I can bridge this massive gap to this person because that's really what needs to happen for, like, a proper relationship that'll work the best for her to, to happen.
2: Exactly. And I love your term, the sophistication gap, because I do think that that happens. And I think it happens when people get money suddenly. And I think if we went back to 08 or 09, you know, I joke that estate planning is full of villains, but I actually think Brittany's parents probably aren't villains in this. I think that they're human beings that were placed in a very tough situation. A lot of options were thrown at them. And they went for the one that they felt Made the most sense, but probably as we think about it with 2020 hindsight, I'm not sure it was probably what we would want to have happen. And so the takeaway ultimately is you know, think through the options with clients and make sure your clients have documents and that they know who the backups in those documents are. Do they really want Uncle So and so or Cousin So and so being their trustee? Or is a corporate trustee a good pick? And that the powers you give them in the power of attorney document, that you really think through the those different powers from gifting to you know paying bills to being able to invest. Because that's really where we provide value to clients. And then I don't think it's a bad thing to ever explain fees to clients. People pay us fees, and it's always good for them to have that transparency. So, I mean, I think, David, as we, we sort of look at this and, and you know, I hope everything works out for Brittany. I think you're going to see in California for the next few years, this tug of war coming from the free Brittany campaign and the need for transparency with conservatorships to using conservatorships in the most appropriate way possible. And this will be interesting to see how it, how it plays out and if we're able to really provide the right protections for people.
0: Yeah, I'm really interested to see if if this, you know, the Free Britney campaign is, you know, it sounds silly, but it's a very powerful actor in in this saga. It it can't be under, like, understated. It it is another party, you know, effectively in this thing that is forcing the hands of a lot of people. But that's also built around sort of the cult of personality of a celebrity, right? And so once, if you know, hopefully Britney gets free from this and is on her own, I'm interested to see whether... You know, there still is this impetus for change once, you know, the Free Britney movement, I imagine they're going to move on. You know, I don't think that they're as concerned with transparency and and justice and guardianship and conservatorship law as they are with we really like Britney Spears and she seems sad.
2: Well, and the other thing is there might also be another sophistication gap there, because as Britney takes steps, like she wanted to keep Jody Montgomery as her, um, you know, physical guardian conservator there. We might not fully understand the decisions they make going forward because we don't have all the data. And Mm. so some of the things they continue to do might make sense to help Britney. And so hopefully, you know, the Free Britney movement doesn't turn as things continue to play out.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Megan Gorman for being, as always, a fantastic guest.
2: Thank you again for having me. Love
1: talking the pop culture.
0: And for all our listeners, I'll see you, or I guess you'll hear me, on the next episode of Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous.
1: Thank you for listening to the Celebrity Estates Wills of the Rich and Famous podcast. Click the subscribe button below to become notified when new episodes become available.
0: In a world where investors seek customized solutions, Parametric partners with financial advisors to create portfolios tailored to unique client goals and make passive investing personal.
2: Parametric, custom to the core. More at customtothecore.com.